welcome to my podcast. This is your host, Ray Lloyd. And this is All The Things. No, or just, I always say that if you're starting out a post with like, hey guys, I'm going to get real for a second. I always you not real before? <laughs> no, I'm like, the people who need to announce that they're being real are not real. Right. People are real are just real like the same way people who say trust me are usually not people that you should trust yeah I'm not lying (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) sometimes I will warn people if I'm going to go more unplugged than usual just so they know to maybe keep scrolling yeah but I don't think it comes as a surprise yeah when it happens so yeah or I hate when people say, warning, vulnerable posts below. I'm like, right. it's not, this isn't like an NC-17 movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> viewer discretion advised. I'm going to talk about insecurities. Like, no, that's not necessary. But there's, not. There are, but there's literally groups on Facebook where they force you, group rules, to write trigger warning. And then underneath what, like whatever it is. And then you have to make spaces and then post it because they don't want people because feeling uncomfortable should never be a thing. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because I think triggers is a really interesting discussion because people feel a certain sense that if somebody else triggers me, then it's all on the other person to change their behavior and I don't need to evaluate, explore if there's work I should do, or maybe I would be ideal to be more selective about what I read. So it's a very interesting kind of in terms of ownership over choices. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, then again, there's like, sometimes you're scrolling through and you're like, oh, I did not need to see that, you know? Um, but I, like you said, it's not always on the other person to be like, I don't like what you're saying. So yesterday I posted about, and this goes perfect into our segue. And I want everyone to know, I kind of really impromptu this and I love it, but just for everyone, if this is how we're going to start this out, for everyone to know like who the heck I'm talking to. So why don't you introduce yourself and then I'll tell you what I posted yesterday. Sure. And in. sure. Um, yeah. So I'm Rachel Herkman. I I'm a licensed clinical social worker in LCSW. I specialize in basically mental health, but I would say the issues I focus on the most are often dating and relationship issues, sexual dysfunction, trauma, anxiety, and depression. I find that those issues are often when people are stuck with those types of things, they really reach out for help. And I have a practice on the Upper West Side now because of Corona, mainly doing remote. And I also am the clinical director of a women's online magazine called The Layers Project. And very passionate about creating conversations around topics that are often not talked about or are talked about in very euphemistic and avoidant ways. Love it. That's right up my alley. (laughs) Um, So um, understanding that in your background, your career, I think that's going to allow people, sometimes the letters after the name make people listen more. Mm. I find it interesting. Mm. But um, we had had a conversation before, which I'd love to dive into so that it can be expanded out to, you know, the people. Sure. Who listen. Um, but what I was saying 
a second ago was yesterday. I guess I triggered somebody because I posted something about how people will take advice about something. I was specifically talking about weight loss, but it could be any any area of life, right? They'll take advice from people who aren't experts in that area. They'll take advice from people who like, let's all like do this thing together and take advice from people who like never actually did it. You know, like I can't give advice to people about going to college because I never did it, right? I can very well give people advice on other areas and, and, and other, you know, topics. But I just found it interesting that people many times will go to people who they know are going to almost like commiserate with them and drag them back down where they actually want to be rather than say, hey, yeah, that's going to be hard for you, but go do it anyways. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, someone got triggered, commented a whole bunch of things. I said, thank you for opening up that conversation. But, and then I got blocked. You know, and it's like people have lost the art of just scrolling past it rather than, you know, it's like, no, I can't even see that. I can't see it because I don't like it. You know, have mm-hmm. you seen the TikTok where people are like, I don't like your content. I really don't like it. Have so you- I, I haven't fallen into the TikTok. I've been <laughs> warned. I will tell you, I've been warned by many people because I've said, what's the big deal? Why are people so hooked? And they're, they're like, Rachel, don't start. Do not start. But yeah, I think in general, people feel this need where it's like, you want to say to them, like, thank you for sharing. Um, why, why do you need to share that? But what I find is interesting is that the internet and social media in particular, there's a whole new, a whole different set of what's a normal thing to say to a human being versus what you would say to an, a human being if you saw them face to face. In other words, if you were walking down the street and you saw someone's outfit and you didn't think that that color was necessarily their color, whatever that means, would you just walk by and say, yeah, Navy really isn't working for you, but no offense, meaning you wouldn't, you probably wouldn't just offer that. Now, listen, if that social media is different because if that person posted a photo of themselves saying, hey, doesn't everyone love my outfit? That's different. But even so, in terms of the things that could come out of people's mouths when there's just a glass screen in front of them, as opposed to what they would say to someone one-on-one, is always interesting to me, that that gap. But um, yeah, I think in terms of what you're saying about people turning to people who may or may not be helpful for them, I think whenever people are looking for change and are looking to change, so... There's, I find three lackings that people often have when they're trying to change and get stuck. Number one is lack of direction in terms of who should I get my information from? In other words, who can help me? Who is the right person to help me? Where can I get the guidance and support? Then there's lack of confidence, in other words. So even if I have the right information and I found the right people or I found the right professional or the right information, whatever it is, I don't really believe that I can do this thing. And then I think the third one is often lack of worthiness, this feeling of even if I have the right information, I believe that I can do it, this lack of worthiness of I don't really think I deserve for these good things to happen to me. And we're not always aware of how those forces could be at play and how those forces can keep us going in circles and sabotaging ourselves. But in terms of who we turn to for information, there's no question that 
there are sometimes reasons why we keep going back to certain sources of information, even if those sources are not bringing us to a better place. A hundred percent. And I mean, it boils down to, you know, self-sabotage, subconscious, you know, all that. So why don't we dive a little into that? Let's say people, they see the light at the end of the tunnel. They have seen people get you know, closure in something or heal in something or lose some weight or start eating healthier or run a marathon or whatever area of their life, right, that they want to improve on or they they know they want to or um, they know they need to, whatever it is, what would keep someone from doing it? What you had mentioned something about like people staying in their own crap because that's familiar to them. Familiar. I mean, when you think about familiar versus unknown, right? Familiar, you, you know, the map, you, it, it's, it's nothing new for you. And I often say that change is often our biggest fantasy and our biggest fear, right? When you think about when we're fantasizing about a situation, it's usually something different than what we have right now. When people fantasize about, let's say their professional lives, they're usually not fantasizing that it will look identical to how it looks right now right? When you talk about people's biggest fears, people's biggest fears are often something changing, losing something that they have. So in terms of the familiar versus unknown, I think that that also brings up that uh, that point that as human beings, we have something called homeostasis of wanting to stay in balance. And when we try to change, we are throwing off our routine. And we're doing that because we see something that is rewarding to us to pursue. But whenever routines are being thrown off, it rocks the boat for us and for people also around us and people who know us. Interesting. I have talked about change in previous episodes where like, even when I moved to this new house, I felt so out of balance for a good two weeks where I kept wanting to be other places. Oh, I'll run all the errands. I was doing the freezer shopping. Like I don't do stuff like that. You know, (laughs) I'll go to Home Depot. No problem. You know? Um, and so I like to give people that permission to understand that the change can be scary and this is why this is happening. But sometimes pushing through and getting that mindset shift and the ultimate change is very necessary. If it's impacting your health, your relationships, your job, you know, your friendships, whatever it's, it's impacting. So how can people in your professional opinion, um, you know, push through it, move through it? What kind of tips could you give them? Whatever fear is holding them back? Right. So a couple things come to mind. So first of all, it's always helpful So I actually was not planning to be a therapist. I'm not one of those people who's like, oh yeah, from the time I was like eight years old, I wanted to be a therapist. No, that was not my story. I actually was planning to be a history teacher. I really am fascinated by the study of history. And so it kind of makes sense actually that I ended up becoming a therapist because I believe that when we're looking to change and we're looking to better our lives, it's not that we should be obsessing about our history, but I think that our own personal histories can give us important data about who we are, the types of mistakes that we've made, where we've gotten stuck, what what our biggest challenges have been, the things we're proud of, the things we're ashamed of, all these things that are part of our history, I think can really inform 
when we want to go to somewhere better, what we need to do to do that. So I think when someone's looking to change, it's first helpful to get to know themselves in terms of, first of all, why do I want this change? Now, is this change something external or is it something internal? In other words, external, I say, is it something that's going to change on paper about me? like a status thing or maybe a look or whatever, or a numbers thing, or is it something more internal? In other words, something I want to change about the way I feel about myself or the way I feel about other people. So first kind of getting clarity about the why and the what. I also think it's helpful for people to ask themselves the questions, not just why do I want this, but also what scares me about change because that's where I think there's a lot of information. In other words, if, if somebody is scared that they're not going to be able to maintain this change, it is worth asking ourselves, are you trying to do something that might be unreasonable or unsustainable? In other words, not all fears are irrational. Not all fears are inaccurate. So I think that's important too. I think also even asking ourselves, When we think about this thing that, that we want to change, have we built an identity around it? In other words, if we change, is it going to be uncomfortable now that we no longer identify in a certain way? I'm going to give an example of change. I don't speak about specific cases with my clients. I'm very into patterns, not people. So I'll use an example of myself. I'm a naturally lazy person. It's a joke in my family. I had no interest in rolling over as a baby till I was eight months old, not even interested in trying. And I have been running marathons for 20 years. So people have asked me how I made that change. And I think for me, one of the things that was a big change was, was starting to believe that I could be a runner. And I had a lot of encouragement. So as much as it was a family joke that I didn't care to roll over, I always got a lot of support about reaching goals. So I think it's very important to even ask ourselves, do I believe that it is possible for me? Because sometimes people think that life is like this thing where everyone else knows the dance moves, but you just don't know the dance moves and everyone else, success can only happen for everyone else. So I think even asking that as a core question, was there something you wanted to say? I don't want to. Oh, I'm uh, loving listening. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a New Yorker, so I'm always trying to like not interrupt or not. <laughs> I think also it's helpful to ask ourselves, am I thinking that this change is going to complete me? In other words, am I looking at this change as something like once I have this, then I'm going to be good to go? There's actually this movie I love from the 90s. It's called Cool Runnings. It's about Jamaican bobsled team. And there's a great line in there. This guy's talking about winning a gold medal. And he was saying like, it really wasn't a big deal. And so the other guy was like, what do you mean? You won a gold medal. And he goes, if you're not enough without it, you won't be enough with it. And I think that goes for everything. I think that goes for any goal that we're looking at. Yes, it might enrich our life, but it's not going to complete us. And if we have that reasonable view going into it, I think we're less likely to then relapse from whatever the goal is because maintenance is one of the hardest parts I find because sometimes then, then you get used to the success and it's just kind of part of your life and brings back to that question you brought up is why, why do we self-sabotage after we succeed? Right. The monotony of the win, like, okay, here I am, you know, um, 
there is a uh, this guy I follow. He's a, a I don't know all the things. Inspirational speaker wrote a book. Have you heard of Ed Milet? Oh, is that how you pronounce his last name? Milet. I think I've right. I think I've seen his name, but never knew how to pronounce it. Okay, so thanks for teaching me how to yeah. pronounce it. <laughs> so he has an episode. I believe he calls it "Blissful Dissatisfaction," where he talks about this idea of always being grateful. You know, you get that paycheck, you hit that weight loss goal, you make whatever partnership at work, whatever it is, being thankful for it, but then never being satisfied, always asking yourself what's next. And it's not a, you don't want it to be full dissatisfaction because then you're never happy, but you never want to be too blissful because then you get stuck in everything's good. You know, the, I've read, um, somewhere or someone said something about like the, thing that people have to fight the most is being fine. Yeah, fine. You know, I'm good. You know, you know, people say it could be better, but I'm good. And people get stuck in that of like the, all right, you know, I got paid. Is it fully enough for a vacation? No, but I can pay my bills or, you know, my friendships, are they like really raising me up? Are they helping me become a better person? No, but they're not bad. You know what I mean? And it's like, yeah, but what happened to great, but going after great can be uncomfortable. And you know, not for monotonous. Sure. For sure. It's interesting because as you were saying that, something I was thinking about that I think comes up for a lot of people is there's a difference between feeling happy and feeling high. Yes. I think that I think that accomplishments can sometimes make us feel high and we can feel really good about it. I remember the first time I was running a marathon and I was reading up on it and it was saying that a lot of runners talked about how the week after their race, they felt this lull. And so the big advice was make sure that the day or two after your race, you sign up for a new one because there could be a lull after you've reached something. I mean, even I just read Andre Agassi's biography, it's an autobiography, and he was number one tennis player in the world. And he talks about what happened when he got that phone call telling him that he was number one and he had spent his entire childhood. This guy did not have a adolescence, everything was about tennis. He gets that call in his mid twenties, I think early twenties saying you're number one tennis player. And he talks about how he hangs up the phone and he felt nothing. And it's like, you made it like you did it. You arrived your whole life's goal happened. And he's just like standing there. So I think even just there's, I think the line between satisfaction and growth, I think both of those are necessary because if we're always just feeling like I need to reach for more, I need to do more, but we don't take a moment to internalize what we've gained. But at the same time, if we're just fine sitting around being like, oh no, I don't, I don't, I don't need to do anything. Like it's all good. It's all good. But deep down, which by the way, that can sometimes be a defense. I find. Yeah. Instead of taking a risk, we just say, okay, you know what? But at the same time, though, I also think we can sometimes have too high expectations. So this balance between being happy with good enough, but also reaching for better. Yeah, it's a huge balance. And I think it would probably take checking in on yourself relatively often. Where am I? What do I want? Why do I want it? You know, am I, am I not going after that thing because it's fear? Am I not going after it because it's not, I hate the word realistic, but like, let's be honest, you know, when I talk to people and they're like, 
I want to lose a hundred pounds. And I'm like, great, let's take it 10 pounds at a time. Not to say not to go for the hundred, but like, let's take it 10 pounds at a time. Because if you think of the full hundred, it's a big chunk to bite off. Um, pun intended, I guess, you know, so, um, but at the same time, not to say you don't want to go for the full hundred is, is selling yourself short because you could achieve it. So it's definitely a balance. Well, if there's always that next thing, if there's always that next thing, then no next thing is going to be enough. Right. In other words, I think that at our core, because we, we can be very goal oriented people, but just because we're hitting our goals doesn't mean that we're actually feeling content. And I think that for many people, and I've seen this clinically very often, is that sometimes very high achieving people can actually have an internal bully, a very hard on themselves kind of way of thinking. And so that's where, by the way, change could be scary. Because then the question is, if I let go of that internal bully, what's going to motivate me towards my goals? Right. And so the question then becomes, am I reaching for things from a place of torture or from a place of nurture? So in other words, whatever these goals that I'm looking to change, whether it's my relationships, whether it's health goals, whatever it might be, am I doing it because I'm being hard on myself or am I doing it because I want to take care of myself? It's interesting. How would you suggest someone evaluate that to know, is it coming from a place of torture or nurture? So the first thing is, I like to ask people, when you make a mistake, what does that internal dialogue look like for you? In other words, is it, what is that internal beating yourself up? I often say there's a difference between falling apart versus self-destructing. People fall apart especially right now we're dealing with the pandemic, it it makes sense to be falling apart. Self-destruction is a different level. In other words, self-destruction, you're turning all your feelings towards yourself and you're actually hurting yourself as opposed to emoting and processing feelings. Because self-destruction doesn't necessarily process feelings. Self-destructive behaviors are often a way to check out. So the feelings don't even get processed. So then you end up with two problems. You end up with the feelings and you end up with the damage that just came from the self-destructive behavior. Whereas processing the feelings when falling apart can have a much more cathartic and productive place to go. Now, in terms of how can someone assess in terms of nurture versus torture, I like to ask people, do you consider yourself someone who, are you hard on yourself when you make a mistake? When you get rejected from something, how long does it take for you to be able to move forward? Do you generalize it to mean rejection about everything? And I think even asking someone, what do you think will be waiting for you at the end of reaching this goal? Because we can't hate ourselves into loving ourselves. So if someone says, oh, when I reach that goal, then I'll actually start to like myself. That's where I think it's more, that's more of a torture thing where they're saying, I'm going to torture myself and then start to love myself versus starting a goal saying, or at least recognizing a kernel of worthiness of, I'm doing this because I want to take care of myself and believe that I deserve to feel better or to have better experiences in my life. Wow. Does that make sense? Yeah. I love that. 
like even just, you know, someone who runs a marathon because they love it and they believe that they deserve to be strong or whatever. I don't run. So whatever people who like to do those things feel (laughs) or running to punish yourself. Oh, I ate that. Exactly. Right. Running to punish yourself is, is really, you know, I think I'll say it like this. Self-care is often spoken about as activities. I'm much more into self-care as a mindset because there are some mornings where my self-care might mean going out for that run. But sometimes like this morning, my self-care was getting up, feeling like my hip felt a little wonky and saying, you know what? I don't think I should go for a run today. I'm going to give my body a break and just, you know, chill today. So self-care, I find when it gets too concrete of these are the activities that you need to do for self-care, it departs from the intuitive part. And the intuition is so important when we're setting goals because the intuition is basically that internal GPS that tells us this is the direction that makes sense for us. And when we're gathering information and learning from others, it's always a balance, I say, between learning from others and listening to ourselves. And self-care is very tied to intuition, right? If your friends are going out and want you to come, there are times where self-care might mean to say yes, just say yes, go out, you'll feel good. But there are other times where self-care, when you check in with yourself, you might say, you know what, I've been staying up late the last few nights. I should just, you know, make it an early night. So that's where I think it, and that's nurture. Nurture is when you say to yourself, let me, let me consult inside. <laughs> let, me, let me find that gentle, quiet voice because intuition, that voice is often much quieter than the louder arguments that go back and forth. Do you think trauma could, could make that, intuitive voice quieter than even as quiet as it naturally is. Absolutely. I think trauma, I find with trauma, first of all, trauma can affect, well, let's first define trauma, by the way, because I think sometimes we work on the assumption that everyone knows what trauma is or that everyone thinks, or people think that trauma is what we call capital T traumas, things that you might read about in the newspaper, an accident, a natural disaster, assault, death, things like that. But the truth is trauma is very subjective. Trauma is less about what happens to you and more about what happens internally inside of you. So in other words, on 9-11, there were people who that day survived. They ran out of the towers and the next week we're back in the city working at another location. And then there were people who were living in Kentucky and just saw it on TV, saw the towers fell. And after that, they were just never the same and developed PTSD. So I first want to establish that because I think sometimes people will look at other people's situations and say, oh, well, how is that traumatic? Or of course that person must have PTSD because they went through that. When the truth is, it's so subjective. Going back to your original question of, do I think trauma can quiet the intuition? A thousand percent. Because I think that what happens for some people is that they might have sensed, and again, it depends what kind of trauma we're talking about, but when somebody goes through a traumatic experience, so sometimes the intuition can actually be heightened because sometimes the intuition might have helped them. In other words, sensing dangers coming, 
So sometimes the intuition could be stronger, but I think sometimes it could get quieter if we're still having flashbacks and nightmares and not able to have kind of a flowy sort of nervous system experience. If the nervous system is stuck in this hypervigilant place, we don't necessarily have that same access to that quiet voice. And so I find when I'm working with someone and I help connect them to their body more, they're able to start slowing down and grounding themselves. They can start gaining access to more of their intuition. Interesting. Okay. So trauma, trauma obviously is like a much, much longer discussion. Listen, I also think sometimes trauma changes people's self-esteem. Sometimes when people go through trauma, they walk away with negative beliefs about themselves. So if someone's walking away from a trauma with negative beliefs about themselves, whenever someone has a low self-esteem, that is going to affect, in other words, if I believe I am X, then I believe I deserve X, right? So if somebody has a low self-esteem, that is going to play a role in what they experience in life and the goals that they pursue in life. I do find actually when we're talking about obstacles to change, I do find that there are some people that as their self-esteem improves, one of the hard parts is that their relationships change because they will sometimes start to ask to be treated in a different way. So in other words, if someone doesn't think highly of themselves, they're going to tolerate certain behaviors. But as they start to feel better about themselves, they'll say, I, I'm a worthy person. I deserve to be spoken to in a certain way. Or they'll think back on old experiences and say, you know what? I really wasn't treated well in that situation. Yeah. So that's could be one of the scary parts about a self-esteem improving. Yeah. I actually saw that personally with when I lost all of my weight, there was a lot of friendships that I then realized, mm, this feels toxic now. It wasn't because I had lost the weight. It was because of all the mindsets that came along with, I don't deserve to be spoken to like that. I don't, you know, so some friendships ended up um, dissolving um, as a result of me almost standing up for myself and saying, no, like, that's not how this goes, you know? So it's very interesting. Right. And I think, I think weight loss and the talk about body is often just the top layer of so many other deeper forces in terms of what it means to love ourselves, what it means to connect with other people, what we believe about ourselves in terms of where we fit in. And I, I find that comes up for people regardless of where they are and how much they weigh, or if they just lost a ton of weight and now the world is treating them in a different way. Mm -hmm. And they're feeling like I was a great person before, but now um, fitting it to society standards so people are listening to me in a different way. I also think it's interesting you bring up friendship because you know there's that expression, a friend in need is a friend indeed. Yes. So I actually don't agree with that at all. I think that when your friend is down in the dumps and just had a bad breakup, it's really easy to run out and pick up that Ben and Jerry's and show up at their door and sit there and comfort them. But when your friend calls you and tells you that they just heard news, that's happy news, and they just got the job of their dreams, that's also the job of your dreams, let's say, or got a certain relationship partner who's exactly the type that you're looking for too, it's much harder then to be 100% genuinely happy in your first thought. Maybe, maybe your third or fourth thought, but I find that friendships and relationships it's sometimes easier to be there for people when you get to be the hero 
than when you're just celebrating their success. Interesting. Do you think it would be easier to celebrate someone's success when you are innately happy with where you're at or finding that you're experiencing your own success as well? I think that when people are more secure and content with they are with where they're at in life, they are able to share that goodness and genuinely be happy for other people. I think that when people are in a tough spot or they're feeling like the good things in life are skipping them over, other people's happiness can be a trigger for them. Yeah. Which doesn't mean that deep down they're not happy for them. I think I think most of us don't necessarily intentionally want people around us to not be happy. But I do think that jealousy is a very common and normal human emotion. We don't have to live there, but I think some people have a hard time acknowledging that it's even there to begin with. Yeah. Well, because you don't want to be that person. Right. You don't want to be that person. And so you start spinning into this place of, well, if I'm jealous, like, what does that say about me as a person and blah, 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 blah. And it becomes this whole, this whole tape when the truth is, it's like, okay, do you ever hear this thing about awareness, acceptance, action? Have you ever heard about those three words in a row? I've heard the words, but not in a row. (laughs) So I'm actually a big fan of it. I didn't make it up. I think it's actually from, it might be from one of the 12-step programs, maybe from Al-Anon. I'm not 100% sure. But it basically is, there's, so you have an emotion, let's say you have a situation. So there's awareness and then there's acceptance and there's action. So let's take jealousy, for example. So let's say someone even allows themselves to acknowledge that they're jealous they don't necessarily want to then accept that they're jealous. So they just jump from awareness to action. So instead of saying, okay, I'm jealous of this person. Jealousy is a legit emotion to have as a human being. It does not mean I'm a bad person. It does not mean I wish bad stuff on them, right? And able to accept that the emotion is there. Then you're able to then move on and say, oh, you know what? Like, I'm actually really happy for this person. But I find when people don't want to acknowledge that they're feeling the jealousy, they jump from the awareness to the action and will then speak negatively about someone that they're jealous of. Does that make sense? So let's say like, I don't know, something silly, like so-and-so is traveling and they're feeling jealous. So instead of accepting it, they'll kind of be like, yeah, but like she probably used her father's credit card or something like that. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. As a way to kind of almost like distance themselves from it of, oh no, I'm not, I'm not having a feeling like that. Right. Or it's valid because. Right. Of trying to kind of deflate it. Yeah. So, I mean, what I'm taking away from all of this and what I'm sure many of the listeners are is the human psyche is beyond powerful. Can yeah. It can control almost what we do it maybe it does, right? I don't want to give it full power, but I think it does. Um, how we feel, how we react, what we do, um, what we make our goals, how we achieve our goals. So I guess what I would want to close in is, is twofold. One, how can people help their brain, their mindset, their, um, all of that part of them be healthier to then be able to take the action of, you know, understanding, yes, we have a fear of change, right? Um, 
but you know, and you gave really good advice for like the solution to it, but how can people then take it a step further on the healthy action? So twofold, right? So like, how can they take that action? And really the beginning of that would be how can people get into a really healthy place mentally to be able to take the proper action, to be able to not always be chasing something or to be able to be content with something while still properly setting goals for themselves, right? It's, it's a, it's a big, that's a biggie. It is. So I, I, I would start with this. So I sometimes will suggest to clients to take a break from social media for a couple of days so that they can get to know what they really want. Because these days we see so many products promoted and other people's lives and what's going on in other people's situations that we can find ourselves in a place where it's like we're not even sure what we actually want. We're just so used to inhaling other things and other people's experiences that we're like, okay, of course I should want that too. And so I find that taking some time away from social media actually helps people, number one, get to know what they're actually thinking about (laughs) and not just what other things, like what social media might be planting in their head. That's number one, is getting clarity about what's yours, (laughs) what's yours in this. Also for people to take time to make a list. I'm very into writing things down. I'm very, I'm, I'm a big fan of journaling. I think that journaling has many benefits. One of which that just getting it out. And also there's this expression, you name it, you tame it. But sometimes we have these feelings percolating in our heads. And if we just get it out and we can name it and say, okay, that's what this is about is really helpful for people. So I think even making lists of what are the things I want in my life to feel more satisfying to me? And what are the things I want within myself to feel more satisfying? So in my life might be a job change, a relationship change, a health goal. Traits within myself might be more something like a character trait I want to work on. In other words, I want to work on being more patient or I want to be more complimentary to people or I want to be less negative, whatever it might be. So I think even just getting a sense for ourselves, what what is it that that we're going after? The next thing I would say is spending some time to ask ourselves what baggage are we coming in with from the past of trying these things before? Because, you know, you know, there's that expression, uh, I think it's in meditation, Buddhism, maybe beginner's mind. Yes. This idea of what would it be like if I had never tried this before? And if I didn't have this whole history with it, because that I think really makes a difference for people. In other words, let's pretend you've never tried this before. Let's pretend you don't have this whole string of failures behind you that you identify as failures. How would you approach this? The other thing I would say is getting very concrete. In other words, plans that are very concrete. In other words, you want to be healthier. It's not just about, oh, I'm super motivated to be healthy. It's concrete plan. What do I need to do tonight so that tomorrow will be a healthier day for me? Planning, I think, is a big part. I'm a big fan of planning meals and knowing things. You know, I I find just if there's something important, 
laying out my jogging clothes the night before, these things make a big difference in terms of health. So I think even that in terms of asking very specific and really at, at the risk of sounding cliched, but really one day at a time. I think that we get very big in our goals and that could be great, but we get too big in our thinking. And I think it's beyond what the brain can handle. And so then we overwhelm ourselves and then we end up doing nothing. And so while the expression, go big or go home, I'm actually not a big fan of that because I think go big is actually very frightening. I think we could dream big, but I also don't think we should worship our dreams. I think sometimes our dreams, people feel like they're betraying their dreams when it's like, well, who knows if that dream was necessarily what you needed to feel content in life. A lot of our dreams have been influenced by what we see around us as this is what you're supposed to be going after. So I think even doing that in terms of what do I need to do today? What do I need to do tonight? What do I need to do this week? Very, very specific. Finding the right supports. In other words, going at it alone, I always say there's no trophy for going at it alone. There's no wall of fame that says, oh, this person achieved this and they never asked anyone for advice. At the same time, I also think we need to balance what other people share with us and figuring out for ourselves what makes sense for us. And like I said, listening to other, learning from others, listening to ourselves. I think also, practically speaking, if we do have traumas in the past that we feel have a hold on us, if we are not able to experience joy, if we are someone who really struggles with believing that we are worthy of succeeding, that belief about ourselves will probably get in the way of us sustaining change in the long term. And then I would also say the part, and this might sound almost too simple, but reassuring ourselves that I will still be me. Even when I reach that goal, hopefully, I'm still going to be me. Because in as much as we fantasize about becoming a different person, that's actually a very frightening concept when you think about it. And so almost reassuring the part of ourselves that's scared of who are we going to become if we change so much, reassuring ourselves, like, I'm still, I'm still going to be me. I just might be a better version of myself. And even just reminding ourselves that everyone has struggles and everyone has failures and everyone has things that scare them. Because I think one of the biggest impediments to us being able to change is the way we classify ourselves in comparison to other people. And if we recognize that everyone else has struggles too, it can give us that validation for whatever it is that we're trying to accomplish too. I love that. Thanks. Well, I think this is going to be one of those episodes that people need to go back to and listen like several times. Right? I think I'm going to need to go back and listen to <laughs> I'm going to love it. Um, and yeah, I'll definitely be a, a repeat listener and kind of, you know, write some things down, implement what you can. But a lot of what you're saying rings very true with the comparison and with the, um, you know, one of my main things was, yes, I look completely different now and I feel completely different now. And I'm in a completely different field that I started. I used to be in finance. This is very different, you know, but um, the main thing I always held on to is I will not lose my authenticity um, I'm going to hold on to who I am. And like you said, just be better. And that doesn't happen overnight either. You're not like 
I'm better. Now I'm very inspirational. You know what I mean? It's not like that. It's, it's you evolve into that. And a lot of people that I work with, um, in different capacities, I'm like, you decide what a win is. So like if your win is waking up and brushing your teeth this morning and running, you know, for two minutes on the treadmill or, you know, drinking a glass of water or, you know, letting your kids go on the iPad so that you can have a minute, like those are your wins. And so like if you decide that your win is this big, huge thing and you're not winning until you get there, you're actually doing yourself a disservice. Right. Right. And I think something something I I always like to say is. I want to be hard on my goals, but soft on myself. Yeah. Not hard on myself, but soft on my goals. Because at the end of the day, the most most important relationship is the one I have with myself and the way I speak to myself. Yeah. And so it's really about that sense of being gentle. What does it mean for me to be gentle? And that we could still be successful and be gentle to ourselves, right? Going back to that nurture or torture thing, that... I do think we can nurture ourselves to success. I do believe so. I love it. Well, I hope everyone else loves this as much as I loved recording it with you. And I'm so glad. I don't even know how I came across you, um, but as much as social media you know, people need their breaks and, and, you know, don't compare yourself to everyone's beautiful storyline of like, where they're not showing you that they're yelling at their kids and that the dog peed on the carpet and their air conditioner broke to the tune of $14,000. I don't know who I'm talking about, but, um, you know, not comparing yourself to that. I think social media is also a beautiful tool. Oh, absolutely. And if I, if I didn't sound more balanced about it before, I totally agree with you. I think that there are so many opportunities of voices of finding our people. And that's, what's great about it is you put in a hashtag and you'll just find all these messages and just the way that people can connect with each other. It's, you know, it's so I've connected with people from all over the world and we just, we never know our impact. That's one thing for sure. When I get a, a letter, when I get a message from someone from Australia or Belgium say, oh, I, I saw it on Insta, I got your post. It's like so cool. And I think that we all, we are all influencers in that way. Some are capital I influencers, but we are all influencers in that way. And, and I agree with you in terms of social media that there's a lot to gain from it. And it's just a question of how do we use it properly and in a way that can nurture us versus torture us. Yeah. So you don't need to be given free sunscreen to talk about it, to be an influencer. You could post something inspiring. One person can see it and that's worth it. But that's how I think I came across you. How could people find you on Instagram? What's your handle? My handle is Rachel Herkman, R-A-C-H-E-L-H-E-R-C-M-A-N. And um, yeah, feel free to message me. I respond. I don't have an assistant responding to people. (laughs) Same. I love when people are like, oh, thank you so much for writing back. I know you're so busy. And I'm like, first of all, you don't know that I'm busy. You don't see my calendar. I love love to say that because don't make assumptions. And number two, who would be respond like the whole point is to connect i'm not the president <laughs> i don't have a secretary that's gonna write back to you <laughs> same but um yet right they tell you to say yet but i i do hope that i will always no matter where i'm at i will always respond to the messages but yeah people are welcome to reach out to me and i'm always happy to hear from people feedback about these topics and keep the conversations going 
That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I can't wait for this thing to drop. And is that how the professionals say that? We're going to get this to drop, I believe. And um, I'm still, I'm still learning about the terms. I hear, that's what I hear. You're supposed to say like the episode's going to drop. Yeah, Yeah, that's what I believe. Oh, so this drop is positive. Yes. This is a good drop. <laughs> we want, usually you drop something and you're like, oh, but this is something we want to drop. Yes. Yes. Let's drop that. But I'll let you know when it's out. I'm excited for everyone to hear it and I can't wait to get their feedback. So um, if you loved it, definitely let us know. And um, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope that you loved today's episode. Please do the following things. Share this all over your social media. Subscribe to my podcast and leave me a five-star rating. Till next time.